We are brought to you by Always Living. Always Living is a lifestyle brand emphasizing the infinite number of ways to experience and enjoy life to the fullest. We believe in creating a life worth living. Always Living was inspired by a group of close-knit friends who found purpose in seeking fun, adventure, and memories together. Thus, a lifestyle brand was created to encourage and inspire us all to live a life of purpose. We all get one very special, unique life. Unique life to live. It's our own choice to live it how we please. With our products, our goal is to remind each and every one of us to be true to our lives. Try to try new things, make our dreams a reality, and live a life you will remember. Head over to alwaysliving.com, get yourself a snapback like this, uh, one of many styles, a shirt, a beanie, and if you dress like a dad or you are a dad, get yourself a dad hat and use promo code VGM for 25% off. We are also brought to you by Stitch. Stitch is a lifestyle destination for discerning gentlemen with unique sensibilities. Looking to combine classic styling with a contemporary mindset, our gentlemanly sophistication is perfectly paired with subtle hits of irreverence. Stitched is driven by a passion for exquisite hand-tailored clothing and obsessed with creating a unique environment for perfect shopping experience. Stitched has assembled an extraordinary combination of world-renowned fabric vendors, master tailor, stylists, and support staff with one goal in mind, to exceed your expectations. The best way to experience the stitched lifestyle is to set an appointment at our boutique store located inside the cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Here you'll find a place where a man can be a man. Each season, Stitch creates a one-of-a-kind, ready-to-wear Stitch collection while curating collections from influential brands. Set up an appointment today. Get in touch with them at shop at stitchedlifestyle.com or on Instagram at stitchedlife. We are back with another episode of Vegas Golden Mics. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit that like button. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Vegas.Golden.Mics. On Twitter at Vegas Mics. And if you are in the car listening to us, you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as SoundCloud. Our guest today is a very good friend of mine. He was a Las Vegas Metro cop for 25 years, Tom Wagner. Wags, thanks for coming on. Hey, appreciate the invite. Yeah, of course. It's be exciting. Yeah. I got to have everybody I, I have on, I, I want to make sure they're cooler than me. And so yeah, I, okay. I, I've known, oh, I mean, come on, you were a cop. <laughs> I'm older you're than you. You're a cop. Yeah, well, you definitely, well, yeah, you are. But you're a cop almost as long as I've been alive, Mike, as long as Mike's been alive and as, almost, <laughs> as long as I've been alive. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's good. Yeah, well, you you <laughs> retired right when, uh, right when I moved to town, so... Um, I never got to live in the city that you were protecting, but thank you for oh. thank you for your your service to the city and protecting everyone. But uh, we really want to get into um, the process of you becoming a cop, and um, you majored in criminal justice. Uh, so I'll just I'll kind of let you take it from there. Yeah, no, a young kid growing up in the Midwest in Minnesota uh, saw how how hard my family worked on a farm and and said, "What do I do to get away from that?" Uh, you know, tough life for farmers bailing hay and getting the uh, animals out and all that good stuff. So it was early on. I watched shows and said, you know what, I'd love to be a cop. And um, it just kind of took off from there. was fortunate enough to get a college scholarship to go play football. They happened to have a great criminal justice program. And uh, it just kind of all fell in place for me. It was meant to be. So you're working on the farm when you're a little kid and thinking, like, I don't want to do anything but this. Yeah. Yeah. And then at what point was it, like, for sure, like, I'm going to be a cop? Well, I think it happened, uh, you know, later on in, in my uh, early teens, just, uh, you know, getting um, really 
embracing law enforcement, seeing that what that was like on the TV shows. Being from rural Minnesota, you really don't see a lot of cops. When you do, it's probably not the good thing, but, uh, yeah. you know, you're having parties out in the field and whatnot. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just, you just, I think you embrace it. Uh, any, anybody that becomes a police officer, you, you got to believe it's really in their heart because it's not for everybody. It really isn't. And, uh, you know, on the job later on in life, you realize, you know, people wanted a job, not a career. And those type of people you had to wash out because they were going to either hurt you or themselves or, uh, you know, get somebody else in the community injured. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's a long process. That's kind of a, I mean, there's a huge similarity to just a locker room right there. If someone's not on board, it just, it's a, it's a cancer and it brings everything down. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of, I've had conversations with, I mean, I don't know how well you know Nielsen, but um, just him about the same thing, like in the locker room and having each other's back. And it's obviously different because as a cop, it, it's life or death every day. Wow. It, it can be in no matter what situation you're going into. In baseball, it's just like you're going to lose the baseball game. Like It's it's way different, obviously. But um, <laughs> I don't want to lose in life. Yeah, exactly. You, know? yeah. you want to yeah. go, go home to your wife and kids if you're married. And, um, you know, those kids obviously have got to be your number one passion. Um put the job aside and, and go be a dad. And, uh, you know, those are things I'm very proud of, of doing is because law enforcement officers can get entrenched in what they do. And then they become negative to society away from the job. And, you know, a lot of people say, man, you don't look like you're, you look like you're a cop, but you, you're a lot cooler. And, and that's cool for me because I don't, I didn't want to be defined by my job. I wanted to be de- defined as a husband and as, as a dad. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's a tough line to, uh, to embrace, but you have to. And that's what I've talked to Eric about too. I helped him get on Henderson PD and, um, you know, he's a great access now. He, he'll text me and call me and say, Hey, Wags, this is what we got going on. You know, have you ever seen this? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah, you know, I don't think I've ever <laughs> met anyone. I mean, I I only know a small group of cops, but he's definitely the most like fired up about oh. it. He's just from day one though. As soon as um, he was done coaching, it was like oh, I think I'm going to become a cop, and then he was doing the medical sales. And then one day I got in his car, and he had like six post-it notes on his dashboard covering everything that had all the radio like signals and stuff, and it was crazy. But um, yeah. what? Uh, obviously, there's a million shows on right now. Uh, what what were the cop shows that you were watching as a kid? Oh, jeez. You know what? Probably like the one Adam 12. Um, <laughs> Barney it. Fife. Yeah. You know, like, all, all the oldies. Yeah. I'm, I'm 53 years old, 54 years old now. So um, it was the old, uh, you know, just shoot them up, uh, bang them up type shows. And um, Chips was big for me. Uh, you know, even when I got on the police department, I had an opportunity to be a motor officer. One of the best jobs in my my uh, career, until I got ran over, and then uh, you you reevaluate if it's <laughs> yeah, really something you wanted get, to get do. Get your ass back in that car. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so you're from Minnesota. You were you yeah. born and raised. born and raised there. You went to Minnesota State. Yeah. Okay. How did you end up here? Well, so my college professor, who was my tight end coach, said, uh, "Hey, Tom, you got to get out of Minnesota." I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "There's no jobs. You're going to get pigeonholed here." Um, and the way it was going in the eighties, you really needed to expand yourself to different areas. Uh, so he, he actually suggested three departments and I'll never forget the conversation having a burger. I'm about to graduate. And he says, Hey, 
you and uh, my best friend Dave Lynn, he says, you guys got to go to either Tempe, Arizona, ASU, lots of girls, <laughs> um, Las Vegas, Nevada, Sin City, just, you know, it's a new up-and-coming department, or LAPD, established, and everybody wants to go there. And one of my buddies chose Tempe and ended up being the assistant chief of police. I uh, looked at Drowsy. I said, I don't think I'm going to Sin City. Went home and, and uh, told my grandma, who uh, is in the neighboring house from us, uh, the farm that we grew up on, I said, hey, I'm going to Sin City. And she says, you are not going to Sin City. <laughs> Sorry, Grandma, I am. I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Came out here on a weekend and uh, tested Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday uh, afternoon, took my polygraph, and polygraph uh, investigator said, hey, it looks like you've passed everything. We're going to probably offer you a job. You'll be here in three months. We need 110 officers. Wow. And went through one of the biggest academies at the time um, in September of 88. And 25 years later, was blessed to retire. Dang. So g graduating with a criminal justice degree, you obviously have um, choices. It's not just like going to straight being a cop or street cop. You yeah. could You could have gone a, n a number of different routes. So why did you choose being on the street yeah so at the time uh you know at the um you really had to decide if you wanted to be an fbi agent or secret service or some federal type job or there was also opportunities with a four-year degree to become an officer in the air force uh, marines and those type of people came around too and they would offer you a signing bonus you had a four-year degree you can enter in as a captain um, as an officer those things were attractive, but they didn't get what I wanted to do. I wanted to find out what it was like to help people. Um, the team concept was really important to me. I never uh, played baseball, baseball in, in uh, Babe Ruth and all that, but when I was on the football team, I knew that if I didn't make that block for my running back, um, the team was going to fail. If I didn't catch the ball, we might not win. So the team concept was important to me early on, and I just, you know, I really embraced what it was like to be a police officer through law enforcement and through uh, sports. That's, I mean, we can keep talking about that, the team concept all day, but I feel like that's something that um, just being around baseball for the last, I mean, my entire life, but it's something that is missing now, yeah. just in college, like, like talking to people about just just using the bunt as an example like I, I i bring it up all the time and i feel like i'm i sound like my dad but i, I stand with him on, on this opinion like in college baseball the goal is to win yeah so it's do whatever it takes to win it's not like the big leagues where it's like i need to get paid so i need to hit home runs and doubles like i'm not gonna bunt like hey you need to understand that if there's a guy on second with nobody out and you get that bunt down and that guy gets the third base the two guys behind you you just made it so much easier for them to get that rbi and they know that you did that for them but it's like the guy's looking at you like ah yeah but i still don't want to bunt yeah like, i don't bunt yeah. oh yeah you do well you, yeah. you do but it's like we even we've seen is like even they'll go to bunt and they'll bunt two of them foul or they'll like take one right down the middle it's like you have to be fully invested in it but that's it's not the bunt, it's the team thing. It's not that the it's the bigger picture of like the little shit that you'll do for your team. And so it's I mean, like you said, you miss a block, your running back's getting crushed, your quarterback's getting crushed. Yep. It's the same thing, but you do it as a cop, you you screw up, someone's getting hurt. Yeah. If I'm I had a domestic violence scene and and uh we always separate the two people and 
one officer will take one, I'll take the other. And if you're not aware of the situation and you allow something to happen with your partner and he, you didn't observe him, um, you know, you set yourself up for failure. You don't know if he had a gun, knife, uh, you know, his hands were deadly weapons, whatever that may be. And so you're relying on that partner when you walk through the door because you want to leave the door. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you want to get home. Yeah. And domestic violence is one of the craziest uh, crimes you can go on just mm-hmm. because of you have a passion the people are in love or so they think and you don't know if they'll turn on you because now you're taking their loved one to jail yeah it's, it's sometimes crazy it's crazy so i mean i can just imagine the amount of calls that you want went on especially domestic violence but there's got to be some like typical vegas story that you have Oh, nothing's typical. That's the beautiful <laughs> part about law enforcement. Everybody will say, okay, give me your top two or three stories. I, I got 35 stories. We'll pick one. Yeah. Let's hear it. Well, I don't know. Well, I think it starts, maybe, where was your, were you in the same, like, did you work the same area the whole time? Were you no, down on the strip? Or yeah, you, where so were you? I was very blessed to find um, opportunities to go to different divisions. And that's really why I became a police officer in Las Vegas. It was growing so much. When I came here, it was 220,000 people. We've got 2.4 million now. And so the opportunities were uh, endless. You could go, I went from uh, a regular street cop, uh, was selected to be on the bicycle team, the first bi- bicycle team that Las Vegas Metro had. Um, oh, wow. That's that, pretty cool. Th- that was a great job. And you're getting paid to pedal a bicycle and ride through the hotel and yeah. you know and that that was probably one of my better jobs and then uh i like to say and keep I, your ass in shape the whole time you did yeah. but you ate steaks and you ate lobster because oh, yeah. all the hotels loved loved you coming through oh yeah you know it was new not only to our community but to the world to the country yeah. you know nobody had law enforcement cops on bikes shorts um, you know, short sleeve shirts. Yeah. Well, so, and now you go down on the strip, and it's like there's there's nothing all, but bike cops and, and motorcycle cops. It's you, like a, just seeing a, a squad car is kind of well, yeah, sort of rare. Uh, one because you can't get through. Yep. And two, it's really changed the perspective of law enforcement. Is you want those cops next to your people? Oh yeah. Uh, you can hear things. You see things. Um, you know, a lot of times it's reactive versus proactive. And when you're on the strip, you want to be proactive to what's going on, especially those casino owners want you there. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, something bad happens like uh, 1 October or something. You want officers uh, that are aware. Um, You want all the officers there. I just So I went down to the strip uh, New Year's Eve, like 2014 or 15. You're one of those guys. No, (laughs) no, no, no. I'm not one of those guys. So this was – we were still in college. I had a buddy. It was 2014. I had a buddy visiting – um, we're like, hey, we got to go down. You know, just like we didn't, I don't ever go down to the strip, but he was in town. I was like, hey, let's go see what it's all about. So we had someone go drop us off and we drove all the way down to like the stratosphere. And we're like, wait, this is way far. Like we can't get, everything was closed. So we ended uh-huh. up going to UNLV and, or we got dropped off at the Hard Rock and walking over. And we got there and we're like, oh, okay, this is cool. Like the streets were, it was like, it was crowded, but it wasn't crazy. And then at like 11.30, it got to be... Like, we went inside and got a drink. Got two drinks, and it was $75. When we, it was one of the... I think it was Planet Hollywood was the only casino that would let people come in if they didn't have a room key, yeah. which made sense. But we got out on the street, and at midnight, you couldn't move. Like, if you had to get anywhere, you couldn't move. And there's people out there with kids, like, in strollers, strollers. and they're just slammed in. I'm wondering, Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
but the amount of cops that were that were out there and when the fireworks ended how they took over and it was like these are our streets i mean i'm sure i couldn't see them because there were so many people but i'm sure they were surrounding us as soon as the fireworks ended and it was 12 15 they just took over like a wave and it was like get the hell out of here but it was impressive to watch i just stood there i'm like oh shit like look at all those cops they weren't I mean, people were just like getting out of the way and moving, but it went from being not be able to walk two feet to they just got everyone out of there. Like, hey, we're not making sure shit goes down. So, well, and here's why I say that about you is we have great people that come up the strip and they just want to experience it once. But you have those people that come up to the strip that bring their kids or bring illegal weapons or bring uh, glass bottles that could be used against me. Those are the people that you're like those. 10% are going to be my issue. Yeah. And it's guys like you that we love to see up there. You're high-fiving us, thanking, thanking us for protecting you, and then you'll leave. But then we have the guys that just want to hang out, get drunk, and then they do what we call the Vegas meltdown. And now you're <laughs> dealing with them the rest of the night. Yeah. Instead of getting home at 2 or 3 in the morning, now it's 4 or 5 in the morning, the sun's coming up, yeah. and you've just worked a 20, you know, a 12 to 18-hour shift. Uh, and you're like, and we understand that that's Vegas because our economy's good because we have that, and so there's yeah. a tough line to to uh, dealing with. You that. just had a big billboard at every like corner that said "Don't be a dumbass," yeah. and it said "No glass," like <laughs> use clear bags. Yeah. But you're right; it's just that couple like that. I mean, it's just a couple bad apples. Like it, it really. I mean, it takes one person to ruin something like that, yeah. but. You've like everybody has seen in those events, whether it's a concert or being down on the strip or just in a casino, nightclub, whatever it is, that dude that's just shit faced and won't leave. Yep. And but you're not going to win down on the strip nope. when there's 20 cops right there. Nope, it's like nope, nope. <laughs> it's there's, there's your there. team concept again, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> everyone has their own back. So, um, I mean, you've been here for you were a cop here for 25 years, it's been another seven. Um, so you've seen a shit ton of change here. Yeah. I mean, I've seen in the six years, seven years that I've been here, um, the amount of houses, apartment complexes, like new casinos, whatever it is. And then I saw a picture of when Summerlin Parkway was just or had just been built and there was nothing around it and it was like the road to nowhere. Yeah. And now you go up there and it's crazy. So I can't imagine like how much bigger the scale is for you. And you know what? It's, it's, uh, it's a good and a bad. Uh, everybody hates the traffic, but... You, you love your uh, salary. You hate the congestion on, uh, you know, at concerts or whatever. But you also like, you know, our lifestyles and everything. So there's a fine line to everything, especially, uh, you know, I relate everything back to either sports or law enforcement. You've got to take the good with the bad. And it happens everywhere you go. Yeah. Just happens that Vegas grew from when I came, 200,000 to 2.4 million. They all uh, followed you, Wags. Yeah. Came for you. yeah that's so what, what they was, did. When you, when you started, what was the size of the force of Metro? Uh, we, well, so uh, a little background of Metro. In 1973, the Sheriff's Department and the city combined became the Las Vegas Metro Police Department. No longer did we have a chief of police. We had a sheriff, so he was elected. Probably uh, uh, 600 people on, which was huge for you know, where I came from. Yeah. Um, and now, uh, and we go by what they call badge numbers. So mine was 3,600. Now they have 14,000 badge numbers. Um, and it's just wow. crazy because of the turnover. Those badge numbers obviously don't change. That stays with me for, for life. But 
now you have guys that, like you say, uh, I coached in baseball that are on the PD now. Uh, and not only on the police department, but they're making rank. So after six years, you're eligible to test for sergeant. I've got a kid that I coached up at Coronado uh, in the JV level that is now a sergeant on our police department. I saw him at our last, last uh, charity golf tournament and looked up and said, hey, how are you doing, Grant? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mr. Wagner, how are you? That's hey, so don't cool. call me Mr. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's funny. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Uh, that's strange. I can't imagine thinking of it like that perspective, like f- the spot that I'm in now coaching guys. I mean, I'm, I was only a couple of years older than the guys that I was coaching. Like having, I mean, we had a couple of guys drafted in the first 10 rounds in every year that I like see them playing baseball. But to see a kid that you coached become a cop and do the same thing that you did, like that's got to be a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. Just, I mean, just like having one of your kids do it or, or watching them succeed. Like it's, I can't imagine, I don't know, that's weird to, <laughs> to, to think of it like that. But um, so you, I mean, we could t- talk about your sons. Um, Jake and Tyler, um, I know Tyler a little bit better um, just because of the baseball world, but um, he's been very successful, and he made it to the big leagues. What's it like watching your kid pitch in the big leagues? Uh, you know, surreal. That's one word I always use when people ask me. It's just, it's a, a, like, again, like I say, it's a blessing as a father to see the hard work that they put in and you put in as a dad, um, forcing them to do things that maybe they didn't want to do when they grew up a hundred hits off the tee in the garage, or, you know, we're going to go take the ground balls that you don't want to necessarily take. Cause it's 118. We're doing it because if you're going to buy into something, we're doing it a hundred percent. That's what I've always told my kids is if you want to do it, I'm hundred percent behind you, but we're going to do it together at a hundred percent. There's no, lollygagging yeah <laughs> you lollygag on the field yeah lollygag um so, i mean obviously to become a major league baseball player there has to be a point where you decide i mean this is a conversation like maybe i can have with him a little more but uh, y- you know like if you want to be the best at what you're going to be you have there has to be a point where like okay i'm going to do this like regardless of what it takes could you tell early on with him that it was like that he had the drive or was it something that you kind of had to just like keep pushing him to you know what? I'll I'll uh, I'll go to Jake first. So Jake is my oldest one, and uh, talk about just raw talent. Uh, Twelve years old is on ESPN playing for Green Valley Little League, hits two home runs. Uh, Harold Reynolds says best swing he's ever seen. Carmen <laughs> Romano gets up behind him, another home run. Now we're tied. You know we're in a game with Oceanside, who ends up going to the uh, Williamsport and winning it that year. Um, And so I looked at my oldest son and said, wow, that's just pure talent. You know, he had to work hard, and he was the kid out in the garage doing 100 hits off the tee, um, and he had the desire, uh, you know, high school uh, captain and and just bought into everything. And then comes along Tyler, who's two years younger, and from what I thought was talent with Jake was just pure with Tyler. And Tyler didn't have to work hard. And therefore, when he didn't work hard, he was the average kid, maybe above average on some of our teams. And, you know, I had teams, uh, literally, or I should say travel teams, Johnny Fields, who's uh, at the cusp of making the major leagues, Joey Rickard, who's in the major leagues, Joey Gallo, Chris Bryant. We had Bryce on our team for a little while. Um and you're talking five major league guys right now. And then to compliment them with kids that were at, at their age at 12, better than some of those players. 
So they peaked earlier and then fizzled out. Yeah. So for Tyler, it was a, more of a, a pureness. And then when he really did buy in in high school, he went to very blessed to go to Bishop Gorman. And it was, I really relate that to the coach that he had, Chris Sheff, who at the time I hated uh, because he was just so tough on my kid. But then the other kids, the Jeff moms that were really good, uh, got away with stuff that maybe Tyler didn't. And looking at it as a dad, you're like, oh, that guy is, you know, I'm not a fan of his. I could yeah. use some swear words. but And it, you look at him and you go, hey, that's not fair. But then it made Tyler buy in even more. And so he goes from high school as a pretty good shortstop. They win the American Legion World Series. Uh, and then he gets uh, – uh, nice scholarship from the University of Utah. And, you know, I want him to go to UNLV. He doesn't even get a sniff from them. I keep giving the UNLV coaches guff about that, too. <laughs> so, to that's, that. yeah, that's another story. <laughs> <Yeah>. But uh, <laughs> so he goes to Utah, and it was up there that he really bought into hey, I'm going to be a baseball player. I've gotten something in my arm that's pretty good here. Um, and it, it, it really clicked with him. The girls were out of the picture. The doing the stupid thing on the weekends were out of the picture. Uh, he even said to me a sophomore year, "Hey, Dad, I'm buying into this. You know, uh, Coach says that I, you know, I, I got a chance. All right, so could you buy me a house?" I was like, <laughs> "What? What?" <laughs> He's like, "Dad, we don't have parties. It's all baseball guys. Just a, some place to come and relax and be away from campus and." And like a goofy dad, I bought into it and yeah. bought him a house. Um, but it really was good. Uh, I would go up there and stay uh, during his weekend series, and I could see that he was maturing already as a sophomore and as a junior. And, and then as a junior, he blessed to have a, just a great – well, he had really, really good sophomore year where he set some major records, you know, yeah. for Utah. And having a big sophomore year is huge. Yeah. yeah. It puts you on the map. And then, you know, the other dynamics is now you you have to not only play well your junior year to get drafted, but you have to embrace what is coming your way. Mm -hmm. And that is the scouts, uh, all the agents, all you know, all that stuff. So now you're not only having to deal with school, but, uh, you know, your opportunity of – making some money yeah that's a totally different animal and it's just like you said when he got there um he started to take a little more seriously and i think i had kind of the same experience just going i think walking into a just onto a d1 campus whether it's utah or unlv it kind of triggers something like oh shit this is this is serious this isn't like for people that are not like we said 100 percent bought in and it's like that those guys get weeded out yeah. like if they're not taking it seriously it's like one you're not going to play and if you're not not playing and you're not going to support everyone else like you're just you got to go but like when i was in junior i went to junior college for three years and i like just fucked around for three years and partied we had a house for two and we just like we were the party house and baseball was cool but it was like it was kind of like came second to just living and being a dumbass 18 year old but when I got to UNLV and the first day and I walked in the locker room and I saw the field, it was like, oh shit, like I can't, I can't live like I lived before. And I think I'd, <laughs> I like to think I found a pretty happy medium because we still partied our asses off here. But like b baseball was, I took it more seriously and it was like all the stuff that I maybe ignored for those three years in junior college. It was like, oh, now I can use that. And I brought it out and, and it helped big time. But, um, 
You it's actually become it. a job. Yeah. You get to a D1 school, you've got to realize that they've bought into you with a scholarship or some type of financial help, and now you have to buy into them just as much because you're a value to them. And so that's what I always told Tyler and Jake were, hey, if, if, if you do get an opportunity, it's become your job. Yeah. And that's really what Tyler did, I think, in his minor league system going through the minors was, hey, Dad, this has become a job for me. This is no longer fun. And if I think if you ask Tyler now, was playing minor league baseball fun, he would probably say 50-50 yes because it, he had to buy into it so much. Mm -hmm. You had to eat right. You had to work out. You had to make sure that you were a good community member because you got to remember when you get butts in the stands, they're either going to like you or not like you. Mm -hmm. And I even said to him, I said, hey, son, someday somebody's not going to want your signature. And when he would walk by to somebody, and, and this happened in AAA too, I said, um, hey, Tyler, when you walked over here, you didn't sign those autographs. And he looked back and he's like, I didn't even see him, Dad. I, and I said, hey, someday they're not yeah, going to want your signature. So get back there and sign those. Yeah, go back and sign it. Like, no matter who it is, that's crazy. Yeah. But I don't, it's just having the opportunity to play college baseball and you get to play college football, it, it is a job. And, like, <clears throat> what, what always pissed me off as an athlete and, like, even now looking back um, just as a former athlete and as a coach, people would say that student-athletes get, get babied. And, like, you're an, you're an asshole if you think that because yeah. you're wor they have to work so much harder than just take – I mean, I was a sociology major, which was a piece of cake. But if you put me next to a normal sociology student, my everyday life is way harder. Oh, yeah. They're they're getting up later than you. They're yeah. going home earlier than you. And I don't get. I don't, I don't give a shit if they have a job. Like yeah. if they're working twenty hours a week to help like pay the bills or whatever, it's still harder to be a college athlete. Oh, absolutely. Like we had my junior. Both years that I played, it's since changed, but we lifted at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah. You're there at 5.30. Like, if you're late, you're running your ass off. So you're there in the locker room at 5.15. We're all rolling over there together at 5.25. Then you have, like, depending on what semester it is, you have practice or you ha have class for a couple hours. Like, if it's, if it's class first, you're going to class from 7.30 to 12.30. Like, the upper class, when you're lucky, they just sleep in the locker room because they're all done. But, like... You're there all day. Like, there were days... I mean, the freshmen had it nice because they could just skate back to their dorm and take a nap for a half hour, whatever it is. If you were in the locker room, you're stuck in the locker room. Yeah. Like, every day was a 16, 18-hour day. Like, you didn't have a choice. And then yeah. in the season, you're traveling, you're missing class, you're making up stuff online, you're watching lectures, you're getting notes, like... And people want to shit on them. But, but my... Like, the funny thing is, I've always thought people should get paid, but I don't think... I thought I think college athletes should get paid. I don't think it should be a lot. I don't think it should be more than minimum wage, but I think the coach should get to pick how much you get paid. You get you have oh. first tier, you have tiers of players like and you can move. Like if you work your ass off, you're like hey, if you follow all the rules, but if you get in trouble, if you're late one time, you're moving down. Like yeah. if you you're making this much an hour. Or they're getting paid in the SEC, aren't they? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, they are. Um, I, we need to, UNLV basketball needs to start paying people again, get back to those glory <laughs> days. But um, it really is like 
the the amount of money that the NCAA makes off the kids That's and crazy. like they didn't make a damn cent off me, but like all like you said, the SEC, like all these football schools, like you watch how many people are in those stadiums, like what these TV deals are, they're insane. These kids got to get something out of it. I mean, even if it was like legitimately, if you paid them two dollars an hour for the work they did and you punched it in, like not going to class, but every time you went to weights, every time you went to yoga, every time you're in the training room, every time you're in practice or a meeting, punch that thing. Yeah. Like a couple hundred, 150 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month, like whatever it is, that's going to help. No, and, and you related to hourly wage. I even said to Tyler, and, and there's been some minor league baseball players that have sued over not getting paid just to do what they need to do to get by to try to make it to the next level. So I, I see a correlation between college and even the minor league baseball systems. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, I know you listened to the one with Brett, but we pretty much just bitched about the minors the whole time. <laughs> you did. Like, most guys are... <laughs> Made me want to come on. Yeah, I was right. like, I want part of that. <laughs> Let's go. But, like, most... I was lucky enough to where I had my younger brother who was better, and he had an advisor. So I got drafted while he was still in school, and they wanted to keep him happy. But like, also we 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 had established a good relationship as a family, and they just wanted to take care of me. Like, they got me a glove and and bats and batting gloves, and they they took care of me like I was like a first rounder, which was pretty cool. And I was a 39th rounder. So, like, hey, most key, key word, you were a 39th rounder. Yeah. And how many kids can actually say that? Yeah, not many. Exactly. I know. That's why I feel guilty, like bitching about it, because I mean, I can't can't always say that, and you can always look it up. And there will hopefully always be a video on YouTube of me getting a broken bat single in the AZL. It's the only against. I don't know. Ah, I thought you were going to tell no, me it was you know the somebody only, big. The only video evidence of me playing pro ball is just a broken <laughs> bat single over the shortstop's head. Okay, what's uh, Tyler? I I noticed. I mean. I got to talk to him, but he's what is he doing with baseball cards? So r- right now, uh, after the free season, free season agency uh, didn't work out, and had some opportunities to go play independent ball or overseas, and and just kind of looked at uh, life and and where he was, he decided, you know what, maybe I never pick up a ball again, and th- and I've got to be okay with that. And as as a person, you you've got to look at that and go, you know what, that's pretty cool because so many guys hold on when they shouldn't. And uh, Dad's still holding on, just to let you yeah. know. <laughs> Wishing he was there watching games yeah. going, ah, the guy's throwing 88, Tyler throws 91, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but he's kind of uh, in a good place in reference to that. So uh, I was blessed when I retired. I've got a, uh, a friend that's got a little money and said, hey, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, shoot, I, I love sports. I want to get into something. So we met a guy uh, that was uh, – uh, doing memorabilia, uh, icon authentic. A little plug here for our business, but uh, so we sign athletes to major league deals, and so whether that's Joe Montana comes in and we sign fifty jerseys or a hundred helmets, Jerry Rice or uh, you know whatever. Um, Tyler saw that I was able to do that the last couple of years and and meet some great athletes, and and then it's a sweet spot when you get on eBay and pristine auction to try to sell those at a margin that you're going to make a little money. Yeah. So Tyler, uh, through his wisdom, said, Dad, baseball cards are the way to go now. Uh, I know who the up-and-coming players are. I've, I've kind of played with them. I know, you know, that type of deal. And he was blessed about a month ago to go to the national convention, which is in Chicago. Yeah. I've gone. And I told Tyler he needs to experience that if he really wants to get into this. And, and so he did. He went to Chicago, and people recognized him. 
And uh, he was, I think, a little amazed by that. But they brought him into their little circles of, hey, that's Tyler Wagner used to pitch for the Brewers or whatever. Let's let's teach him what to look for on these cards. Because when you send a card to PSA, who is the national brand of cards and and authenticating, uh, because there is about 90% of all signatures out there are fake, uh, there's a great company called PSA that Tyler uh, got to know those guys, and they actually were teaching him what to look for on baseball cards. Um, and so now he's really embraced that, bought uh, a lot of money on baseball cards yeah. now, and, and well, he's bought into that. It makes so much sense. I mean, that's actually genius. I don't know if there's any other like former baseball players that are doing that, but if you um, if you just had – if you followed me in my – ACL or not my ACL, my spring training experience. There was hundreds of people there asking for autographs all the time, and I didn't think it, I thought it was like, oh, this is great. Like when I'm signing like index cards and like people just have random shit, like pieces of paper that just have angels logos. I'm signing, and then one of the older guys grabbed me. He's like, hey, don't like those groups of autographs. Don't sign those. I'm like, why? I'm like, those people want my autograph. He's like, oh no, those people are trying to steal all your money. I'm like, what? Do you, what are you talking about? He's like. Look at that guy. He's like, you think he's really collecting baseball cards? Like, no, that guy's a scumbag. He's going to take your signature off that blank piece of paper and try and, like, hack your shit. I'm like, huh, that makes sense. That's literally what these guys will do is yeah. they've got a blank sheet of paper, and if you're naive about it, you're just signing it because you're proud that you made the, you know, oh, you I thought drafted. it was the coolest you, yeah. thing ever. Like, no one other than a little kid at a game wanted my autograph. I'm like, oh, this person actually wants... Like this is actually pretty cool, but the the amount of people that collect baseball cards is ridiculous. I mean, we everywhere we went this year, there was obviously people lining up to get Greg's autograph, but um, almost everywhere we went, people had Higgy's cards, yeah. oh, and yeah. it wasn't like they had one of them; they had twelve of them. Like, geez, like how do you get all these cards? And it's absolutely crazy. But um, he, I mean, being a guy that went all the way up through the minors and made it to the big leagues, like how many baseball cards did he sign? And like, just to sit and think, like oh, shit, like, I can make a ton of money doing this. And he could, I mean, he can be really good at it, especially if some, most people that are in it aren't athletes. They're people that wanted to be athletes, and that's why they started collecting cards. At least, I mean, that's how I'm looking at it. I might seem like a, yeah. like an asshole no. saying that, but th- that's my perception of the the card world. And, and you're right. There is several guys that that's all they do is they have a passion just to collect a card, know that they knew that kid somehow, or... They followed his career, and, and I've got a great story. Tyler's host dad in single-A ball in Appleton, Wisconsin, the Timber Rattlers. Uh, because you're in the minor leagues, they team you up, I'm sure you know, with parents, oh, yeah. families in the community. So Quick t- shout-out to host families of oh, all kinds because time. they're lifesavers for, especially guys in the minor leagues, if you aren't a host family and you <laughs> live in a minor league city, you need to reevaluate Get because these it. kids are broke and they're paying for studio apartments, they have six living them. Yeah. Those host families are clutch, and college host families are angels. So, yeah, yeah sorry so, to interrupt no, no. you. But. Uh, so Tyler's got a pastor that he's going to stay with, and he's with two other minor league guys. And uh, Ski is his name, and he's literally the pastor of one of the churches in Appleton. But not only is this guy a pastor, I've become very good friends with him now. I talk to him weekly, and he is the passionate baseball card guy. And his whole basement is broken bats signed by Sandy Alomar Jr. and broken bats signed by this guy and that guy. To this day, Ski is still that guy. He's actually moved to Round Rock, Texas, 
where the AAA team for the Texas Rangers were the last two years. Tyler was happened to be there. And I said, hey, Tyler, are you going to live with him? He's like, Dad, I'm a little over that. But uh, <laughs> Ski's at all the games with the baseball cards, and he's not the guy selling it. He's yeah. the guy that it's his personal collection. Yeah. Because And not only is he probably a pretty good pastor, this guy's even a better collector. Yeah. And helping other kids get, oh, that's so-and-so coming up. You, yeah, you want that one. That's cool. And the, that's what the minor leagues is about, is yeah. these kids coming up, embracing not only – becoming a baseball player but what are you doing back for the community are you signing autographs are you being the you know budhead that uh no my you know i'm not giving you my signature well that's not doing any good for you or anybody else and the guys that like i mean the little i mean we were forced to do a little bit um obviously as a student athlete at unlv and they they do a great job of getting those athletes out in the community and and getting involved but in the minors you had i think in the, the brief time i had one uh, like I had to go do something in, in, the, in, in, yeah, yeah. In, in Tempe or whatever. But I know guys that are saying like they're going and they have to go to two a month and they have to do this and, and the signing autographs, like if you're going to complain about it, um, it's going to make it shitty because it's never going to go away, yeah. which is tough. But, Nor should um, it should never go away. Yeah. I mean, I know the tougher signatures, you know, the, the Trouts or the Bryce Harper or whoever it is, those guys look at the signing part of it and look at it as, oh, that person's going to sell it. Yeah. Instead of hopefully, hey, that person wants my signature because he's bought into it. I'm making this great salary because teams are able to buy into me and, and I can give back to the community. And that guy's going to buy a ticket, buy some hot dogs, have some burgers, all that good stuff. Yeah. And so it all trickles down. It yeah, really it does. does. All right, if you're looking at Wags, wondering where you've seen him before, uh, if you've been to a Knights game, end of the first period? <laughs> Any period. Every, no, but isn't there, there's not a certain time they throw you up there uh, every game? Well, so, no. So I, I was lucky enough to pick seats that were, I have a camera guy and the RJ photographer right below me where the refs come out, section eight. So it's just evolved into... Anytime a good play happens or uh, we're going to commercial or whatever, the camera guy looks and gives me the wink, and uh, we'll start the... You have a secret code oh, with yeah. the camera guy Shoot. at the Knights game. Yeah, we do. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but every game I'm there, it's just like, as soon as I walk in, I'm like, where's Wags at? I got to find him, because it's just like, you feel like you're in the same spot, and it's it's different angles, but uh, you can count. Have you missed a game? I, I missed two games in two years. Wow. So yeah. most of my vacations now are planned around it, so mm-hmm. I've got my schedule already laid out and if there's a night's game i've unfortunately told you i couldn't do x whatever that is because it just you know being a kid in the midwest growing up playing pond hockey and pond hockey i don't know if people know that what this is but it's literally take the hose throw that (laughs) on the yard hope that it's pretty much level and let's go skate and that's what it was growing up and really love hockey my brothers have season tickets to the minnesota wild and and uh, when we got tick, uh, we announced that we're going to have season tickets here, I put my money down right away. I was the number 22 person in the whole stadium to pick seats. And so you actually got to walk into T-Mobile and sit in the seat. And then if you, you say like, 22, 22, Jeez. number 22. Uh, and I have a 10-year commitment on my seat. So the nice thing is because we are so good now, the ticket prices have gone up almost double. Uh, so the guy sitting next to me is paying 185 for the same seat. I'm paying 124. That's awesome. That's a beautiful thing. How many seats do you have? 
Uh, well, I have uh, two original seats, and I bought three more next to me. Oh, nice. So, yeah. so you got that whole front row. Pretty much. Pretty That's much. good living right there. It's the wag zone. Uh, I mean, it's obviously, like, you grew up playing hockey. I didn't grow up anywhere where, I mean, there wasn't snow. There wasn't ice. You couldn't make, I mean, there was hockey rinks, but nobody played hockey. We had the Sharks. Um, I didn't really get into hockey until college. Like, started watching the shar- Sharks a little bit because my roommate did, but once... Found out the Knights were coming here. It was like, all right, I'm gonna be a hockey fan now. Yeah. And ever since, it's like, I don't want to miss a game. If I miss a game, I feel like an idiot. Um, as far as watching, it, I mean, tickets are stupid expensive. So I just hope that someone calls me, like, hey, do you want to go to the game? But if might I'm get, not, if might I'm get that call, this yeah, year. I might. There we go. I try. If I'm not watching it, I'm checking it on my phone constantly. I have the ESPN alerts. I have the NBC Sports alerts. Like, I'm trying to find it. Go to a bar. It's something that not only people like who are sports fans got really hooked onto, but just people in Las Vegas, it was something to, it's been something to jump onto. Yeah. And, and, and you know what, after one October, um, and I happen to be at Friday and Saturday show one October, Sunday comes around. I still have my three day wristband on and we've got an exhibition game and I'm going to the game instead of going to the concert. And so I literally go to the game, drive home, get in bed. And then a buddy calls and says, Hey, my son, is at the concert. Are you still there, Wags? No. And I get a phone call uh, from his son that went to voicemail. I still have kept it. And it's, hey, Wags, I'm underneath the stage. I don't know where you are, but will you tell my dad I love him? You still have that message because it meant so much to me. Jeez. A kid is, and, and he's a big outdoor guy. He loves shooting animals. And they eat them, so that's a good thing. Yeah, but uh, they're not doing it for sport, so let's get off oh, people calling in on that. And, but yeah. uh, he, I don't think anyone's going to call in. Your all group. right, good, good. So PETA or something. So anyways, uh, he actually just, um, uh, you know, he's become a, a friend. And so I'm at the Knights game instead of that. And just the Knights have been – just a nice thing for the community because of one October and everything that happened there. People have really taken to what it is to be a hockey fan because it's a fast paced sport. It's not as slow as baseball. It's not as expensive as football. And now you have people that are asking, Hey, what's that mean? Why are they stopping the game there? What, what's an offsides? What, you know, goaltender interference. I thought this. And so you're actually talking to people about hockey when you wouldn't have normally talked about that thing. Yeah, and I think, Mike, I think it's fun because the red light's on on the bottom. It's blinking, so it should be charting. Yeah, well, it's blinking red, but it's, on on, yeah, see there, it's just like, I think when you switch onto it, it drains the battery a little bit. But, like, it's, it's super shitty, and it's always kind of been shitty to look back at one October and then the season starting right after that. But it was something for people, like, maybe not a dis- uh, distraction might be the right word. But it, it might not be, but people got invested in it because it was something new and it was something cool and they started out hot and it gave people a reason to be hockey yep. fans. And doing so well in season one, it was like season two it was like, this is our year. It's like every other team saying that, but it's like, we're the shit. We're coming back. Like, wow. we're the Knights. Like, nobody's going to mess with us. And it was kind of a lot of the same thing this year. I mean, we didn't have as much success and it ended so brutally, but. Well, it um, changed hockey. Yeah. I mean, literally, you get a major penalty now. It's going to be reviewed up in the up uh, upstairs now, so you won't have. And uh, Cody Eakin, 
you know, I've talked to him because I'm a season ticket holder. I've gone to events. And Cody's actually said, I, I part of what history is now for hockey because of that rule. He really is. It's that's cra- It's just yeah. like Buster Posey being a part of that rule in baseball. It's just, that's crazy. But do you think if, what do you think happens if they go to review that play? Oh, I, I, they obviously overturn it, make it a two-minute. I, I bet it's like a 10-minute review, and they're sitting there just going back and forth, and it's just one of those. I mean, it still would have been a huge, huge yep. thing. Half, what, what if? Half the penalties in hockey are what was the intent. Yeah. And there was no intent at all. No. So, unfortunate landing. The hockey uh, ice is, is hard. Uh, you know, you, you draw blood because of that, and right away people think, oh, that's a major penalty. Yeah. So it we was not. That was just absolutely. Do you remember when that, that night? Oh, yeah. We were at Arizona oh, State. Oh. And we were playing beautiful stadium, whatever. Who gives a shit about the baseball game? But we had <laughs> somebody had the iPad on in the dugout that was just like, it didn't have the game on because that would have been like overboard. It just had the tracker on. So we knew exactly what was going on, and every time, every inning, I'm coming in I'm like Michael's the score, and he's like, "Oh, it's one nothing. It's two to one. It's three to one. It's four to one." I'm like, oh, we got this. Yeah. Game ends. We go in the locker room. We do like post game speech, shower, get our sandwiches, whatever. Pull out my phone, and it's four to four. I'm like, Mike, what happened? I don't. I don't. Everyone yeah, was just like, out. we all <laughs> had, we had all had our phones away for that five minutes. Oh, because it was. It was four. To, we were up by three. Game ended. We're in the locker room. Nobody knew what happened. And then once we like got showered, we pulled out our phones. It was like, oh shit. So then we're driving back from ASU. It's by the time we get on the bus, it's eleven o'clock, and we're all watching it on our phones. But the bus driver has it on the radio, and it's like ahead oh. on the radio. So you hear it end, and we're all on our phones, and everyone's just like, fuck, throughout the whole bus going. But uh, now, how crazy is that? You're in a D1 baseball program, you're in a game, and you've bought into Las Vegas NHL hockey. Yeah. And being a guy, you never grew up watching it. It's, you've embraced it so much that yeah. you probably weren't 100% into a baseball game. You were worried about how our. Vegas nights were. Honestly, I didn't give Good a shit, shit about that baseball <laughs> game that night. But I've been a like diehard Red Sox fan my entire life, and I've never had a sticker on my car. And I have a Knights um, Knights decal on the back of my car. It's just like that is very well it, you it, should. Yeah, it's infectious. Absolutely. It's 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 crazy. But um, another cool aspect of being a Knights fan is every time you go to a game, is you get to go see your son working, or not see him. You get to hear him working because yeah. so, he's the the music director for him. Yeah. So uh, Jake was a baseball player. Went to UNLV. Uh, walked on. Um, decided that baseball probably wasn't for him anymore. And uh, I said to him at that time, I said, what are you going to do with your life? He's like, I don't know, Dad. Okay, figure it out. So great thing for him is he starts a band, uh, Tyler Jones, um, who you know his brother, yeah, Um, and Vince Pangawa. They're friends growing up playing baseball. Which band was this? This was uh, what was originally uh, Red Wine Rewind. Okay. And then they developed into American Cream. Ah, American Cream is the one I know. American yeah. Cream, yeah. yeah. And they they were successful for a while yeah. until, unlike most, or really like most bands, they end up not liking each other and breaking up. Yeah. So after that happens, I said, "What are you going to do with your life?" And he's like, uh, "I'm going to go to UNLV and get on public radio." And so he found his way. Um, now he's got a great, successful show on on UNLV. 
uh, public radio. It's broadcasted at night in Reno. So he does a podcast or really a show out of one of his bedrooms in his house. And then that's given him the opportunity. He then was uh, given an opportunity to be the sound guy at the, um, um, what well, was the, or before the Aviers, the uh, 51s. And Don Logan, who I've known through Baseball Foundation, uh, Don said, hey, let's give Tyler or Jake a, a shot. Jake went, and people loved it. Yeah. And a great story behind that is the new guy that's moved into town for the night is in the stands watching the game <laughs> on a Clark County school uh, getaway game with his daughter and everybody's dancing to Britney Spears and they're having a great time and it's 108 degrees and Jake goes in for the interview and says hey uh, I currently work with the 51s and the guy's like well time out time out so I'm at a game a couple weeks ago and my daughter's dancing to Britney Spears and the game going on and I'm like what is this music and what's this all about and Jake's like yeah that was me <laughs> and he literally gets the job off of that that's awesome and and has done really good with it. Got the NHL All-Star selection, so he was able to go to San Jose to Damn, to do never that. played a second in the NHL, and he's an All-Star. Right? That's badass. I uh, know, and he's held the Stanley Cup, too. I saw it. He's got a picture and, and made me very oh, jealous. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, so. hopefully someday you get to. Hopefully someday soon they win it and just keep winning it. But <laughs> yeah. uh, if you go to a Knights game, it's... Uh, it's unlike any other live sporting event, whether it's hockey or anything else. Like it, every time there's a stoppage in play, there's something going on on the board. There's someone running through the stands. There's something going on, and the music's fantastic. So shout out to Jake for that. Yeah. Um, we got to get some basketball games going. That's actually how I met him. Was playing basketball at UNLV. Um, so let's get into. Uh, was he any good? Yeah, I mean. Compared to me, I don't, I'm horseshit, so like anybody would have been good. But if you looked at the group of players we had, there wasn't anybody that was excelling. Gotcha. We'll say that. It was pretty ugly. Um, but you and I have something very in common. We're both retired. Uh, you're, you're seven years in. I'm pretty pretty new to it. But um, in your retirement, you're, you're doing a lot of cool shit. You're traveling all over the place. Um, we'll get into the golf tournament. But um, what's it like being able to I mean, have zero responsibilities? Well, I'll tell you what, If and I, we talked about this the other day on the golf course. If you would have told me as a kid growing up in Minnesota that by the time I was 46 and a half years old, I'd be retired and have a income coming in for the rest of my life every month, same salary, and some years even an increase because of um, raises, I would have looked at you and said, you're, you're crazy. Uh, but being blessed growing up in Las Vegas as the community grew, so did our contracts because we were able to think ahead. I think with the unions and stuff, people said, Hey, would you like a raise now? Or would you like that in your retirement? And luckily we had some great guys that said, Hey, give it to the guys in retirement. Um, and so I'm very blessed to get a, a nice check on the uh, last Tuesday of every month. Not that I know the, the yeah, day, but it exactly comes in. I wake up be. that morning and I'm like, yes, thank you. But, uh, being retired, it gives you an opportunity to do a ton of things. You know, yeah. uh, law enforcement officers die seven years after they retire. It's a national average. Jeez. Because people look at it and go, I'm retired now. I'm going to sit around and do nothing. And so they get out of shape. They The job defined them. when They, they do the opposite of what you're doing. They, they kind of do. Yeah. yeah. And I looked at it as, hey, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do everything I can possibly do. And I'm going to live life. And uh, I've, right now, I've beaten the, 
beat the national average of seven years. There you so, go. Let's keep that rolling. Roll. I, I think I said you got 60 left in you. We'll keep that, keep I, that going. I but will take that. If you keep that up, I mean, just following you on Facebook and on Instagram, um, you're everywhere. It's not like every weekend you're gone pretty much. You were just in San Diego? Yeah, San Diego. I got to. What would you do? Leave right after the golf tournament? Oh, yeah. So got a call from a friend that said, hey, I've got two Yankee tickets. I'm going to go to the Dodgers game. Do you want to go? I'm buying you a ticket. I said, all right, I'm Yankee. there. So I woke up that next morning, jumped on a plane. Mike, we need better friends. <laughs> right? It's all about relationships. Let's get that down yeah. right now. And so I uh, was blessed to go to the Yankee-Dodgers game, went back down to San Diego with him, jumped on his yacht, drove around the uh, bay, uh, watched a couple destroyers leave, uh, said, go Trump, and then... Uh, Had a couple cigars. Flew, yeah, I did that. Um, flew back, and now I'm going to leave and go to Canton, Ohio. Uh, I got a buddy that's got a place on the, on the water, so we're going to do that. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on uh, Tuesday. The following week, I'm going back to Minnesota. It's just, you know what... You live, you've got to live life. Yeah. Um, and everybody says, oh, how can you do it? I look for cheap flights, and I stay with friends and, and just do life. Yeah. it's the way to go right there. Um, so let's get into this golf tournament real quick. Yeah. You're, uh, do you, have, you have two different charities. Let's, let's talk about the first one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll get into golf tournament. Uh, my big passion is uh, helping cops, families. And what I mean by that is, uh, unfortunately, we have officers die in the line of duty. Or if they don't die in the line of duty and they die while they're um, employed, those families are left behind. And so uh, in um, 2001, or uh, February, I should say, of 1 of 2000, Henry Prendes passes away in Las Vegas here. Aspiring rapper shoots him on a driveway as he responds to a domestic violence call. And uh, changes my life forever. I help uh, do the burial service at Central Christian Church. And I said, what, what are we going to do for his two daughters that he left behind? And I became very close to Brooke and Kylie, who I still talk to, uh, you know, a couple times a, a month. And so we, uh, a lot of us got together and said, hey, we got to make sure that, one, their college is paid for. Two, you know, if something happens at their school, what are we doing to replace their dad? And whether that's, you know, and they were bigger, um, older of age, I should say. So they didn't need their hand held when they went into kindergarten, but they certainly needed somebody that when they did get in trouble, mom wasn't always the bad guy. So a bunch of us guys got together and said, hey, we're going to replace your dad. And uh, Kylie still got a guy that we that lives in Temecula, Ryan McCullough, one of Henry's best friends. Uh, I'll help her. Uh, it's just, you have to buy into that. So, uh, we decide, Hey, um, in retirement, what do I like to do? I like to golf. You know that (laughs) golf almost every day. So I was able to partner up with Dragon Ridge country club, a course that you normally can't play and, uh, got some great sponsors, Finley. And, and I could just go on timbers and, and, uh, because Tyler was coming through the minor leagues, I said, hey, Tyler, I've got a great idea, and I need your help. I need 22 baseball players to come out and support this event, and every foursome will get a baseball player with them. And uh, luckily he bought into it, and we've got great guys in the community, Shane Victorino, Raleigh Fingers, Josh Johnson, just some of the retired guys. And then a lot of the guys coming up, the Johnny Fields, the Jake Hager, all the local guys that – not only knew Tyler, but knew me as a, a little league coach or a traveling coach. Um, 
have bought into it too, and it's become very successful. Uh, we raise a lot of money for fallen cops, and we really say that because we don't necessarily have cops that die every year, which is a blessing in our community. Yeah. But we do have cops that are injured or cops that are going through cancer or those type of things that we need to bring our arms around those kids. And so that's really what the charity's become. It's our fourth annual uh, Cops for Kids tournament. And uh, and we're very blessed to uh, have it in December and get the embracing not of the community, but the uh, athletes. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be awesome. And the fact that, I mean, like you said, most people get retire and they sit around and do nothing. Not only are you going out and enjoying um, enjoying your life, but you're helping other people out, which is cool. Because, I mean, there's not a lot of people that are willing to spend their own time trying to help other people. And, and to, I'm sure you you probably lost some friends or some partners along, along the way. I mean, you're a cop for 25 years, I'm sure. Along the way, someone someone was killed or, or multiple people. So for you to give back and do something like that is super cool. And um, we're going to help out as much as we can. We're going to be the uh, the official podcast of the fourth annual Cops for Kids Golf Tournament at, at Dragon Ridge. And how can you uh, sign up for that? So we've got uh, uh, a couple different ways. We've got a police union that uh, is kind of taking all of our registrations, and that's the uh, Police Managers and Supervisors Association. So you can go on to our website. Um you can call in, which we can give you the number also. Um, because it's our our fourth annual and people have embraced it, we're pretty much uh, a couple of foursomes away from selling out. So that's, wow, that's yeah. this far ahead of time. That's yeah. awesome. And and you know what? The it's it's a way for our community to give back to police officers. And I like to say too, there's so much division in our in our community because of whatever your political affiliation is, but this is a way that the silent people that love law enforcement give back to us. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that, uh, you know, sometimes people want to, um, publicize, they want to, you know, just quietly give a nice donation because, uh, you know, they've had a good interaction with law enforcement or they have somebody that's on the police department like Eric Nielsen that, you know, they knew early on, and they see the struggles or the things that are going on in our community, and they just want to give back. So we're very blessed. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you're lucky. I'm sure you have a ton of help. You can just tell by the flyer that there's a ton of people you have that, that are directors and chairmen on that. And we're, we're really excited about that. Hopefully um, by then we can sneak in as celebrities into a foursome. But yeah, <laughs> we're going to yeah. have fun. We're going to show up early to that. The Bloody Mary Bar opens at 8 o'clock, so that's when we're going to hit record, and we're going to get a little wild before uh, that shotgun start. But... Um, that's all I got. Yeah. You got anything else you want to talk no, about? No, just, I, you know, really happy to, to have developed a nice relationship with you. Now I watched you play baseball and then watch you coach. And, um, I, I gotta tell you, I'm very proud of you and, and I hope this takes off. Thank I, you. Great, I appreciate great that. Great deal. Yeah. No, and hopefully you have plenty more, uh, plenty more times on here after the golf tournament, we'll get you on maybe even before that to, uh, to promote that but we're obviously um we're huge fans of law enforcement i mean we appreciate the hell out of anybody any kind of first responders we have i mean the other day we shouted our shouted out our buddy who graduated from the fire fire academy and so now he's on probation which is pretty cool but um we have cops all over the country at home in california and uh you name it but we're going to continue that that trend of uh supporting law enforcement and first responders having them on um wags thanks for coming on uh we'll see you soon smell you later